To the timeout with Josh podcast. It is getting close to Super Bowl, the majestical Sunday that we all look forward to in February. We're closing in on it. But before we get into the awesome talk about Super Bowl and the other subjects I have on board for today, I want to make sure that we give a shout out to our sponsor, spreadthecheerusa.org. SpreadTheCheerUSA.org is a nonprofit 501c3 that is out there doing good for families. They uh, they have two major campaigns that they do every year, Hop to Hope and at Christmas um, with their, their Christmas giving. Um, so basically what they are is they're an organization that collects money from uh, you folks and your kind donations, um, and they go and they get gifts and uh, you know, gift cards and things like that that are needed for needy families around those two holidays. And uh, they're, they're just spreading love. They're spreading positivity. They're a great, great group of people. They are also, they are also presenting the Cheer Choice Awards, the first annual Cheer Choice Awards in Las Vegas, April 7th through 9th. Make sure you get your tickets. It's going to be freaking incredible. I will actually be there. It will be amazing. It will be absolutely incredible. The Cheer Choice Awards are are up there to recognize positive creators across all social media platforms. They were nominated by their followers to be voted on, and uh, it will be a full-on award show. Like Grammys, look out. Emmys, look out. They are coming for you. They're going to make this thing happen. It's going to be awesome. So again, spreadthecheerusa.com. Org, .org. Go to their website, check them out, buy your tickets, bid on cool pool cabanas, uh, get your special rates for your hotel rooms uh, at the MGM Grand. It's all the information is there. It's a great organization. Go check them out. Definitely make sure that you drop them a few dollars and uh, support them. I mean, we, we all have those times when we've been in need, whether it's monetarily, physically, or uh, otherwise, and uh, and these folks are out there doing great, amazing things, and their, uh, their group of volunteers are phenomenal. So let's get into this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in, <clears throat> we're in the countdown. We're in the countdown to what I don't think any of us really saw coming. I mean, you want to tell me, you want to tell me that at the beginning of this year that a team that went 4 and 11 uh, 4 11 and 1 got a great draft and that draft pick was going to help Mr. Joe Burrows and the Cincinnati Bengals go to the Super Bowl. I would have told you you were off your damn rocker. If any one of you that listen to this if any one of you honestly put like I don't know, $100, $1,000, whatever it is, down on the Cincinnati Bengals to make it to the Super Bowl, 
I would like to shake your freaking hand. You're 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 crazy, but I want to shake your hand because that is that that's that's an amazing bet. It's an amazing bet. I did it a few years ago when the Las Vegas uh, Knights uh, became the expansion team in Las Vegas. I was in Vegas. I put $100 down that Las Vegas Knights would win the Stanley Cup, and I put $100 down that they would make the Stanley Cup. They didn't win it, but they made it, and I won a lot of money, and that was just a stupid bet. Stupid bet, right? But this one, if you put $100, $1,000, you put a significant amount of money down on the Cincinnati Bengals to make the Super Bowl, you, you saw something. You saw something that so many of us did not see. So I wanna I wanna wanna pat you on the back. Wanna pat you on the back. So first of all, let's do this. We're, let's talk, let's talk the yeah, I'm gonna pull this information from from uh from DraftKings and let's talk the spread. The spread, Rams minus four, Cincinnati Bengals plus four. The total over under is 48 and a half. Rams got the over, Bengals got the under. The money line is minus 200 for the Rams and is plus 170 for the Bengals. I'm not going to lie, y'all. I am not going to lie. I put money on the Bengals. I put money on the Bengals' money line. I did it. I made my bet this morning. I put the money down. And that's where I think we're going to be. Okay? I'm just... I I think that's... I, I just got that feeling. You know what I mean? I just got that feeling that I think the Bengals offense is rolling and I think they're going to be dangerous. I think that it is going to be difficult for the Rams to stop that just relentless offense. Okay? I'm just saying. I I think that it's going to come down to that. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but I think the key would be to stop the Bengals offense and I think that that is going to be difficult. I think Joe Burrows is dialed in. I think it's going to be difficult. Do the Rams win? I, You know what? I, I think they they could. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford's advantage is purely in experience. It is the experience in the game that he's got. So my bet to win the game is Cincinnati. I am betting on Cincinnati. I'm doing it. I told you guys <coughs> the other day that, uh, you know, on the last podcast, wherever I wasn't sure, I was kind of on the fence. I was back and forth and everything like that. You know what? I've dialed it in, y'all. I've dialed it in. We're going to see the Bengals win, and that's what I'm going for. We're going to see them win. That's it. Now, I very well could be making a podcast come Monday of next week. I could be making a podcast going, look, I was an idiot. I was stupid. I fucked up. Right? But, but, uh, Cincinnati's behind Burroughs. I mean, there you go. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I think it's the thing. Um, I think Jamar Chase um, and Joe Burroughs are, they're, they're clicking. They're they're banging it out. They're they're out there just smacking teams around. And if the Rams single stack on and they do single coverage on Jamar Chase, the Rams are gonna get rolled. The Rams will get rolled if they if they literally don't double team Jamar Chase. And if they double team Jamar Chase, 
then they got a problem. All right. So basically, this is the way I look at it. This is this is not a classic Super Bowl. All right. When you think of a of a Super Bowl, you think of two teams that have just you know they they've obliterated they've obliterated their their competition. They have they've torn their way through um, the postseason and and they're doing great, right? But no, both of the teams trailed in their conference championships games in the in the fourth quarter. The Bengals needed a dramatic comeback from to and the Chiefs to self destruct to win. The Rams blew a twenty four point lead against the Bucks and. I mean, they they needed uh, Tart to drop a interception to get their win over the 49ers. <clears throat> but they did one thing, and this is it. Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase both came in clutch. When it was time to come in clutch, Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase both made big catches to set up game-winning field goals. And that right there is what made the games fun to watch. They took it down to the wire, right? Um, if you if you look at if you look at the whole picture, I believe that the team that wins is the team that overcomes mismatches. The, the team that figures out how to have the least amount of mismatches is the team that wins. If the Bengals figure out how to cover Cooper Cup and shut down Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford properly, like they figured, wait, they finally figured out with Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey in the Chiefs game, like they could not shut down Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey in the first half. Then they got out there and and they they started shutting them down. The Rams. Basically limited the 49ers to 50 yards and 20 carries in the rush. And we know that the 49ers have the ability to to do better, right? So they limited it, right? They limited the damage. But the thing is, is if you take Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup and you don't cover them properly... But you don't, you know, double team them so you leave the rest of the field like open. You've gonna you're gonna have to get an attack on defense to cover these guys without double teaming them all the time because eventually one of these teams is gonna start breaking runs and they're gonna start passing to their two and three receiver and they're gonna start breaking off and it's gonna be like oh well crap we got to cover those guys and they leave one of the big guys open like Jamar Chase is left open Cooper Cup is left open and and you you just end up with a huge problem you end up with a huge problem and and the, whichever team can figure out how to do that the quickest is the team that's gonna win it is the team that's gonna win um I think that the Bengals could have learned a lot from the Kansas City game so they will they will you know, come into this game with that mindset, they they could have. Hopefully they did. Um, the Rams started against the 49ers with that mindset, but then lost sight of it. So, you know, it's 
it's a give and take here, y'all. It's a give and take. This is not the two most dominant teams playing against each other. That is definitely not the case. If you wanted the two most dominant teams playing against each other, um, you know, you would have ended up with, with like <clears throat> Green Bay playing against Tampa Bay. Um, you would have ended up with, you know, the 49ers playing against Tampa Bay. You know, we're talking more dominant teams, not not the 49ers, but we're talking more dominant teams. We're talking, you know, teams that, that had more of a, more of a, a back to them, but that's not what's happened. So this game is definitely going to be a game where it's two lesser teams playing against each other, where they have very obvious stars. You have a younger quarterback with mobility and and very good game management. And then you have an older quarterback with extreme experience, great game management, and amazing uh, amazing targets. Both teams have good defenses, not amazing defenses, but they have good defenses that have the ability to shut down any offense if they step up and do it. So that's what we're looking at with the super freaking bowl. All right. Now, having said that, uh, if we if we look at the targets that are out there, you know, you've got Cup, OBJ. You know, that's dangerous for the Bengals. I wanted to go back to that. That's bank. That's dangerous for the Bengals. Um, they got to really. I mean, it's it's going to be rough. Jamar Chase. That I mean, Joe Burrow's and Jamar Chase. That is a wide receiver and quarterback that are about like I. I swear to God, I think they probably, um, they pro they probably they probably sleep holding hands. They probably get the same hotel room, and they sleep holding hands. That's my guess. That that is truly my guess. All right, so we have some coaches that have been locked down in the NFL. We still have the controversy going on amongst. Uh, you know, the coaching and the black coaches and things like that. I think that um, it's still, it, it's it's yet to be seen. Um, Goodell tried to do a little bit of that, you know, oh, I got to come out and I got to say something so I don't look like an idiot um, situation going on. And, and, you know, we ended up with, with Goodell saying, oh, we need to do a better job on diversity hiring. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Like a little too late, little, little too, a uh, little too late for that, right? Uh, so, should you have said something? Yes, absolutely. Should you continue to say something? Uh, yes, but that's not going to be the doing. You know, we need to get the doing in place. You know what I mean? The doing has to happen. The saying is not going to do anything. The doing has to happen. Um, Lovey Smith got hired. I. I don't understand that one. I mean, Lovey was at Chicago. We all know he was at Chicago. We all know the kind of job he did at Chicago. Not a big fan of the Chicago, uh, you know, the Chicago stint that he had. Um, I mean, he's going to be at the Texans. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that happens. I think that was kind of a shocker to me. I did not see that coming. Um, but we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be seen. Uh, Tom Brady is done. He has retired. He is over with. Uh, he is done. That that news kind of blew up and disintegrated really fast. Like nobody really cared. Um, that was interesting. That was interesting. So uh, let's uh, let's 
talk about uh, the next thing up on the list here. Um, for you NBA fans, for you fans of the old basketball court, the Nets dealt Harden to the 76ers for Simmons. I am going to flat out say this, and I'm going to say this very loud and clear for all of you to hear. The Nets definitely got the best end of that deal. <laughs> Harden is a joke. Harden is a complete joke. Is he a, is he a decent basketball player? Yes. But he is a joke. Um, it, it just... I, I hate Harden. I hate his attitude. He's just, uh, he's just, I, I don't, he's just garbage. Um, I think Simmons is a great fit for the Nets. Um, as long as I, uh, Kyrie Irving is playing, if Kyrie Irving is playing and you add Ben Simmons to the list, it's going to be great. Um, I, I think that we're waiting for one more big player to be on the move. And that big player is Russell Westbrook. I think Westbrook is going to be on the move. Uh, the Lakers, I, I think I think it's done. I, I think the Lakers are going to get rid of him. I think the Lakers are going to start dismantling and doing something different. They need to. Um, we, we've seen that they are not. They are not. Yeah. They're just, yeah, they're just not. Um, the Lakers are embarrassing. Um, you've got... <laughs> You've got some of the greatest talent on that team that you could have right now, and they just suck. Um, they suck. It's just, it's sad and it's disgusting. But big news Nets got rid of Harden to the 76ers for Simmons. I think Simmons is a great fit for the Nets. Um, I think he could go, go well there. He could definitely. Go well there. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, we're gonna let's talk about uh, let's talk about a little bit of a uh, little bit of something, a uh, little bit of something different, a little bit of something else on here. Um, let's talk the uh, let's talk the 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 MLB for a second. Um, the, the lockout is still going, y'all. I thought the lockout would be done by now. But as it stands, we could be we could be ending up with another, you know, uh, lockout situation where uh, where we're missing where we're missing games, um, and that would be that would be absolutely horrific. That would be horrific. Uh, I don't I don't understand why one of the largest sports organizations in the world and it's players and it's unions cannot get along with each other. Uh, I don't, I don't get it. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of attempts to change rules and things like that within the major league baseball, you know, like I was talking about before, um, you know, doing robotic umpiring and things like that, you know, certain things need to be talked about for sure. But why are we, why are we on a dead stand still on this stuff? I mean, we got players that are making so much money that small countries would like to be them. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous, but not to get into that. Let's stay on the, let's stay on the positive side. Let's stay on the positive side. Y'all let's talk about what ESPN rated ESPN rated the top 100 
Major League Baseball's baseball players of all time. And this is an inner circle Hall of Famers, best players in the game today. A couple of a couple of peds tainted ones. Um, you know, you've got player comparisons like Ruth and Mays and, you know, so on and so forth. Dozens of ESPN writers and editors submitted more than 20,000 votes to determine the final order. All right. So we're going to we're going to do we're going to do this. We're going to do this up right. OK, um, I'm not going to go through all 100, but I am going to tell you the number 100 player uh, was Barry Larkin. Um, I remember watching Barry Larkin as a kid. He was a shortstop when Cincinnati Reds, um, he was, uh, a hometown boy. He was a Cincinnati high school baseball player. Um, and, and yeah, there you go. The one that I I'm kind of scratching my head at a little bit is Phil Necro is 99. I, I got to see as a baby, I got to see the end of Phil Necro's, um, you know, stint with the Atlanta Braves. Um, and then he went on to play for the, the Yankees and, uh, the Cleveland Indians, Toronto Blue Jays, etc. But he was known for the, uh, for his namesake pitch, the Nuxki. And it was like a weird knuckleball that, that just was just nuts. He was 48 years old. When he got done pitching, guys, 48 years old. He started playing in 1965, stopped playing in 1987, 48 years old, and he won his 300th game while pitching for the Yankees in 1985. He didn't throw a single knuckleball until his last two pitches of that contest, which is kind of ironic. But that's what he was known for. Jim Tomey is 98. Uh, Adrian Beltre is 97. Charlie uh, Gehringer is 96. Duke Snyder is 95. Bryce Harper is 94. Um, John Smoltz, this one I don't understand, is 93. I, I would have ranked him higher based on looking at these stats. I would have ranked him higher than that. He was a Brave and a Boston Red Sox and a St. Louis Cardinal. Um, obviously, he's best known for his time with the Braves from 88 to 2008. And then for the Red Sox in 2009, I am both a Atlanta Braves and Boston Red Sox fan. Huge Boston Red Sox fan. Love the Atlanta Braves, but a huge Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, sorry about that blip there, guys. Um, but that's, I mean, he was he was great. But um, his he, he was not only a Cy Young winner, and he won the Cy Young, but was... For a short period of time, an incredibly good closer. And his ability to pitch in the postseason was absolutely, he was annihilating lineups in the postseason. He went 15 and 4 with four saves and a 267 ERA over 41 outings in the postseason. That's just unbelievable. That's why I think he should be ranked higher. 92 is Royal Halliday. Ryan Sandberg is 91. I, I mean, I think Ryan Sandberg should be higher. Yvonne Rodriguez is 90. All right. And then on the list, a uh, little bit little bit further down on the list there, we have the shoeless Joe Jackson. Um, classic ball player. Uh, 1908 to 1909. Um and then 1910 to 1915, and then with Chicago White Sox for five years from 15 to 20. Uh, one of the best players in the early 20th century. He had a 357 
424, 519, uh, with 198 stolen bases from uh, from 1911 to 1920. But his legacy was tainted by his association with the 1919 White Sox that famously threw the World Series. Uh, and I think that's why he sits at 89. Willie Stargell is at 88. Carlton Fisk, um, the Fisky. Uh, I remember watching Carlton Fisk play um, for the White Sox, but he was a Red Sox first. So Fisk um, at 87. Roberto Alomar at 86. 85 is Jim Palmer. 84 is Paul Molitor. Uh, I remember watching Paul Molitor play as a kid. Uh, Royal Campanelli, or Roy Campanelli, uh, 83. Eddie Collins at 82. Mike Piazza, uh, Mike Piazza at 81. Let's t- let's pause and talk about Mike Piazza for a second. That guy was the Atlanta Braves nightmare um, during the time when the Braves were were you know competing in the World Series level, winning all the pennants and everything like that. Mike Piazza was a living nightmare for the Atlanta Braves and for any team that played played against him. His it, it's just his his ability to do amazing things at the plate was crazy. But the 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 stuff that he was made of, everything he was made of comes up to the go ahead home run for the Mets against the Braves in the eighth inning on September twenty first of two thousand one. Um, and that was the first game played in New York after 9-11. And, and it was, I mean, it was a game that I think that any fan wanted New York to win. Um, as a, as a Braves fan, even wanting them to win it because it's New York. And that's what he did. The city went ballistic. Uh, 80 is Rob Yount. Uh, 79 is Hank Greenberg. 78 is Chipper. The Chipper Jones. Love the man. Um, it's a good dude. And I can personally say that. Uh, he is a good dude. Um, if Mickey Mantle is a no-brainer as the best switch hitter ever, which he is, then Andrew Jones is the leading candidate for the designation among National League hitters. Mantle was Chipper Jones's dad's childhood hero, um, and it turn and and as it turns out, um, the. <laughs> The crazy part about Chipper Jones is he was involved in 12 playoff Atlanta clubs, which is ironically very much like Mickey Mantle's thing. Um, I I love Mickey Mantle as a ball player. I love Mickey Mantle. Um, Lou Gehrig is still one of my favorite ball players of all time, even though I'm a huge Boston Red Sox fan. But Chipper Jones, man. Dude stayed his whole career, 93 to 2012, with the Atlanta Braves, and uh, 468 home runs, 1,623 RBIs, 2,726 hits. Um, just absolutely scary at third base. And he was a great leader. He was a great leader. Vladimir Guerrero at 77, Cap Anson at 76, Rob Caru at 75, Juan Marchal at 74, Willie McCovey. Um, and he, you know, we all know about McCovey, uh, McCovey Cove, um, Willie McCovey at 73, Justin Verlander at 72. I like it. Um, I think John Smoltz should be up there as well. Um, right in that range. But, um, uh, I, I mean, Justin Verlander, he's, he's incredible. He's a great pitcher. Al Klein at 71, Harmon Killebrew at 70, Ozzie Smith, the back flipper, the shortstop backflipper, the wizard, 
the wizard. And I, I, God, man, watching him play ball was so much fun. Um, played until 96. He played for the Padres for a short stint. And then, but he was known for his stint at the Cardinals, 82 to 96 shortstop full extension. The dude could backflip. He, he, he ran fast. He played hard. He had a great spirit, big smile, super passionate. Manny Ramirez, the big Manny Ramirez at 68. I like it. Um, dude, Manny, Manny being Manny. That's all you got to say is Manny being Manny. He was unreal. He was, dude, he was one of the, and and still will be one of the greatest all-time right-handed hitters. He hit 311 times, slugged 40 home runs five times, and drove in 100 runs 12 times. His 165 RBIs in 1999 are the most in modern baseball outside the 1920s or 30s. Like, the dude was a freak. Now, he did get two peed suspensions, okay? So that's why the asterisk there. Brooke, uh, Brooks Robinson at 68, Cal Ripken Jr., the man, the myth, the legend. I have a Cal Ripken Jr. rookie card. Loved that dude, and he was known known for his consecutive game streak, and he broke my favorite ball player's consecutive game streak, Lou Gehrig. He broke his consecutive game streak with 2,131 games at Camden Yards, in 1995, um, Matt Scherzer at 65, Eddie Matthews at 64, Big Poppy, David Ortiz at 63. Primary position is a designated hitter. He did play first base every now and then, um, but my God, uh, that dude could crush home runs. 541 home runs with 1,768 RBIs, 2,472 hits. Um, just absolutely unreal. Mel Ott at 62. Uh, Carl, yes, I'm going to butcher this, but he played for the uh, Red Sox. Yasterzmeski, I believe, if I remember correct. Um, but he followed Ted Williams as the left fielder for the Red Sox, and that was a really tough task. Ted Williams was the left fielder, right? He, he was, Ted was the man. But uh, he was the perfect player to pull it off. Um, he had a triple crown in 1967. So there you go. Whitey Ford at 60. Miguel Cabrera. Miggy at 59. Steve Carlton at 58. Peter Alexander at 57. Dave Winfield at 56. Reggie Jackson at 55. Lefty Grove at 54. Oscar Charleston at 53. Um, I think he should be higher uh, he was Willie Mays before Willie Mays was Willie Mays. Okay. If you guys follow really old baseball history, he was Willie Mays before Willie Mays. Um, Buck O'Neill was among those who proclaimed Charleston as the best player they ever saw, um, in history, describing him as a combination of Babe Ruth, Tris Speaker and Ty Cobb, which if you think about that, that's insane. But the thing was, is he was African-American and, and he was remembered for not being remembered. Not to the extent that he should be remembered. No player may ever combine for the elite power, the speed and everything and the competitiveness and the legend that, that Oscar Charleston was. And the thing is, is Oscar Charlton, um, Charleston rather, was, he, he was... He, he's that player that you you 
you sit there and you go, okay, well, somebody's going to beat his record. Okay, try to beat the record. The dude was swinging a fucking pine tree of a baseball bat. He swung a baseball bat that weighed 800,000 pounds. And he was playing in wool uniforms and, and inferior gear. And this guy played at levels right now that would be unbelievable. 143 home runs, 853 RBIs, 1,207 hits with a 364 batting average. And he played in the Negro Leagues from 1915 to 41. He played for Indianapolis, Harrisburg, Homestead Grays, Pittsburgh Crawfords, etc. This guy was doing numbers that modern day players would want to do now. And he was doing it with inferior gear. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Clayton Kershaw at 52. Ernie Banks at 51. I I like it. I like it. All right. And I said we weren't going to go through all these, but I lied. I'm I'm freaking going through all these. We got to. We're getting close to baseball time. Let's go with the baseballs. Okay. Let's do it. Let's let's go with the baseballs. Um. So we're going to throw uh 50 through 26. That was uh that was 100 through 51. We're going to go 50 through 26 now, and we're going to break these mother truckers down. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna break it down. All right, let's see here. We got Bob Feller, Mister Bob Feller at fifty. Um, I <laughs> the the funny thing is is that when I when I think of Bob Feller, I think of um, Abbott and Costello. They talk about Bob Feller in their their one of their comedy routines. If you ever watched it or ever seen it, it was crazy. But Bob Feller played from nineteen thirty six to nineteen fifty six, but he had a break. 1936 to 41 and then 45 to 56. And he was probably known as the most dominant pitcher of his era. The speed of his fastball was absolutely insane, especially at that time. Um, And this is the other great thing about him. And I will tip my hat to his legend is he actually spent four years serving during World War II. So he stopped baseball to serve his country came back to baseball and he was a phenom who uh, bypassed the minor leagues and debuted at the age of 17. So from 39 to 41, his ages 20 to 22, um, he won 76 games, 960 innings and posted a 288 ERA. Fucking amazing. He finished with the top three in MVP voting in all three years. And in late 41, he became one of the first American professional athletes to actually join the U S Navy just two days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and after serving in active combat, he returned to baseball in 45 and continued his Hall of Fame career. That is phenomenal. Bob Feller, my hat's off to you. The Hurt. Big Frank Thomas is at 49. The dude was... He was ridiculous. Um, he, was, he was a master. He had the artistry of a singles hitter and the body of a tight end. That was the great thing about it. He had discipline. He had major discipline. Um, he was he's an amazing hitter. He had his star moments when he reached the major leagues, and and he was hitting over three hundred in his first eight seasons. He ranked from ninety to ninety seven. He was hitting three thirty with two MVP awards. Um, he had more walks and strikeouts in his career, uh, which was insane. And in 1994 is the third highest since World War II from somebody not being Barry Bonds. 
Um, so absolutely crazy. Nap jo uh, Nap La Joy, um, early or late 1800s, early 1900s at 48. Warren uh, Span, Ron Spawn rather, uh, Boston, Milwaukee, New York Mets, and then San Francisco Giants. Obviously, great pitcher, amazing pitcher. Only five pitchers have won more games than Spawn, which is absolutely incredible. Um, Ichiro Suzuki at 46. I feel it. Wade Boggs at 45. Tony Gwynn at 44. If you had a chance to watch Tony Gwynn play, holy mother of God. He was, he, he was, he was freaking David Blaine with a baseball bat. He could place the ball wherever he wanted to. It was insanely annoying. You, you could put a shift on him and he'd hit the ball the other way. You put the He'd field at a double play depth and he'd put the ball right in front of you. You'd field up tight and he'd just drop it right behind you. And he would do it just against the, he would do it against like the hardest people to pitch against or the hit against. He had 541 plate appearances against 18 Hall of Fame pitchers and batted 331. And against Greg Maddox, the man he faced more than any other Hall of Fame pitcher, he hit 415. This guy was a nightmare to pitch against. George Brett at 43. Nolan Ryan at 42. Nolan Ryan, great ball player, amazing pitcher. Uh, most well-known for his time with the Texas Rangers at the end of his career. Houston Astros, New York Mets, uh, California Angels, great pitcher. Um, Satchel Page. Uh, Satchel Page. Uh, most famously brought up because of uh, Joe Biden recently. But Satchel Paige played in the Negro Leagues in the major leagues. Um, and, uh, and and he was a starting pitcher with a 118 and 80 um, record. And he had a uh, 270 ERA with 1,438 strikeouts um, in 1,695 innings pitched. Um, absolutely incredible. Um and, and the crazy, crazy part about it is he made his major league debut two days after his 42nd birthday. So he played in the Negro Leagues um, from 1927 all the way up to, uh, to 1947 and then started with the Cleveland Indians in 1948. Um, and it, absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. 40 is Jimmy Fox. 39 is the great Yogi Berra. Love Yogi Berra. Um, and, and Yogi Berra is, uh, it, it was one of those, it was one of those famous, is he safe or is he out in 1955? Um, Yogi Berra against Dodgers second baseman, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was called safe. Um, and it was a call at the plate. And if you look at the picture, the pictures of it, the still photographs of it, the argument is, is that Jackie Robinson wasn't safe. Um, but that was one of the most famous uh, incidences with Yogi Berra. The dude was uh, amazing. And he has probably one of the most famous quotes um, more than any other baseball quote or any other quote, period. And it is baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. Um, and if people don't want to come out to the ballpark, how are you going to stop them? Um, the persona sometimes overshadowed the player. Make no mistake. 
Barra is on the short list of greatest backstops, greatest catchers of all time, and a superstar, um, as controversial as he may be. Only Joe DiMaggio had more um, seasons um, where his home run total equaled or surpassed his strikeout total. Um, think about that for a second. Six times Yogi Berra's home run total equaled or surpassed his strikeout total, and only Joe DiMaggio had more seasons at seven. That's insane. Next, right up on the list is right behind Yogi Berra is the great Jackie Robinson. Played in the Negro Leagues, 1945 with the Kansas City Monarchs, and then went 1947 to 56 with uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um and uh and was there he was uh number 42 one of the most famous numbers in major league baseball history retired um it was retired throughout major league baseball um period there will be no other player wearing the number 44 or 42 ever uh he became the first black man to play in the major leagues um that's what he's most known for and uh and changing the course of baseball history forever um I love Jackie Robinson as a ball player. I love watching the old stories about him. It's amazing. Joe Morgan at 37, Tris Speaker at uh, at 36, Josh Gibson at 35, Pete Rose at 34. Again, big asterisk on Pete Rose because of the betting, but he is the hit king. Um, he is uh, he's the player who had a 44 game hitting streak and made 17 All Star teams. He also is the guy that bet on baseball and received a lifetime ban. Um, and he's he was he was amazing. I mean, 160 home runs, 1,314 RBIs, 4,256 hits. Uh, absolutely incredible ball player. Uh, Bob Gibson at 33. Sandy Koufax at 32. Uh, Mariano Rivera at 31. I agree with that. Mariano Rivera, greatest closer of all times. Um, unanimously elected to the Hall of Fame, and uh, he was the first player to ever get a unanimously elected to the Hall of Fame in 2019. Her first uh, eligibility or first um, year for eligibility, uh, he is definitely one of the most respected ball players of his time and his generation. Um, as a Boston Red Sox fan, we hated him but respected him. He had 652 saves with 1,173 strikeouts in 1,283 innings pitched. Mind you, he's a closer. Um, that's insane. Uh, Albert Pujols at 30. Also, um, you know, one of those, one of those ball players. He's just one of those ball players. Johnny bench at 29. Another great backstop. Uh, he had 10 gold gloves, um, and led the majors in home runs twice. Uh, he, he was the big red machine for the Cincinnati Reds, played his whole career there, 67 to, to 83. And uh, he made 13 consecutive all-star teams. At great ball player. Derek freaking Jeter at 28. We already figured that. Uh, Roberto Clemente at 27. Alex Rodriguez at 26. Uh, and, and as much as I don't like A-Rod, um, congratulations at that 26 there. So taking a little break there for a second while I, while I switch the list and we look at the 25 through 21 list, um, the biggest thing with these stats guys is keep in mind, these are the sports writers and whatnot like that. We, I mean, like I said, we may disagree with this list. Um, and may see things that they definitely, you know, missed or need to change on it. But this is ESPN's vote with, uh, or ESPN's writers and editors 
with their 20,000 votes. Um, 25 is Christy Mathewson, uh, and then Randy Johnson at 24. And we all know about Randy Johnson, the big unit. Um, he was huge. Uh, he, he was the Nolan Ryan, um, to left-handed to, to lefties and, and Nolan Ryan was to righties, but you know, pitching, if you're right-handed and you had to hit against Nolan Ryan, you were lights out. Um, if you were a lefty and you had to hit against the big unit, Randy Johnson, it was lights out. Play for the Exos, the Mariners, the Astros, the Diamondbacks, the Yankees, and the San Francisco Giants right there at the end of his career. You know, 329 overall, 329 ERA, 303 wins, 166 losses, 4,875 strikeouts in 4,135 and a third innings pitched. Do the math, folks. He was striking people out. Um, and the thing is, is he was six foot ten. And it, it's just absolutely insane. Now, the crazy part about it, of his 303 wins, 293 of them came after the age of 25. Um, so if you look at if you look at that and you think about that, when the older he got, the better he got. Johnson's own league strikeout crown line times. Um, or nine, uh, he got the strikeout crown nine times. Sorry, blah, can't talk. Um, two different stretches with four straight. Think about that. Cy Young. He got four straight Cy Youngs, five total. This dude was unbelievable. Ricky freaking Henderson. I remember Ricky Henderson. I remember watching Ricky Henderson. That dude could fly. That guy could fly. He was loud. He was brash. He was defiant. He was cocky. He was an asshole. He was crazy, but he was one of the greatest base dealers of all time. This guy knew he was fast and he liked talking trash. He was great at it. He was a great leadoff hitter and he, and, and he was amazing. Henderson stole 50% more bases than the all-time runner-up, Lou Brock. He stole 50% more bases than Lou Brock did. Henderson hit 81 leadoff home runs, and nobody else has hit more than 54 ever. After being traded to the Yankees, he was asked about wearing the same uniform Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle once done, and he said, literally, and this is the trash talker, I don't care about them. He said, I never saw a DiMaggio and Mantle play. It's Ricky time. It always was. This is how cocky this dude was, but he was known for it. Uh, Tom Seaver at 22 the great man himself, the greatest pitcher um, that an award is named after, Mr. Cy Young himself. 1890 uh, to 1898, um, and then on to uh, to the St. Louis Perfectos slash Cardinals to play till 1900, Boston Americans slash Red Sox to play until 1908, Cleveland Naps until uh, from 09 to 11, and then Boston Wrestlers in 1911. Um, he was 511 wins, 315 losses, with only a 263 ERA, 2,803 strikeouts, 7,356 innings pitched as a starter. 66 years after Cy Young died, his name was uh, was renamed omnipresent in the big leagues because the annual award that was given in his name, the Cy Young Award. Um, it was 
numbers that were put up in the first part of the 20th century, putting up numbers that what we look at now in modern era baseball don't even look real. Three, 511 and 315. 511 and 315, 263 RA, 7,356 innings pitch. Guys, we're going to do some simple freaking math here on my calculator because it's not simple to me. If you go 7,000, well, let's do this. You got, let's say you average, you average uh, three or you average four batters, four batters per inning over your career, right? Because you may have faced five, you may have faced three. Well, let's say you average four, you're Cy Young, you average four batters over the course of an inning. Let's say that each batter gets five pitches on average, all right? Each batter is going to get five pitches per average. Four batters, five pitches. That's 20 pitches an inning, right? 20 pitches an inning. And and he pitched 7,356 innings. That is 147,120 pitches just as a bullshit number. That's amazing. He had 19 seasons in which he completed at least 30 games. He completed 30 games. Ask a modern day pitcher to complete a 30 or to complete 30 games now. And they'd be like, yeah, right. Ask a modern day pitcher to complete 10 games in, in a season. But he had 19 seasons when he completed at least 30 games. Adam Wainwright has 27. That's the active career leader in that category. He has 27. The game has transformed 100%. It is a different type of game and it's throwing. But that will never, (coughs) ever be replicated. You will never replicate that, what he has done ever again and that is why Cy Young is one of the greatest pitchers of all time and he's at number 27 20 is Robert uh Roger Hornsby at 20 again an old player uh an old era player 1915 to 1937 um any conversation around the greatest hitter in baseball history needs to include Hornsby um those combination of hitting average and power is crazy he he had the third highest career batting average behind Ty Cobb and Oscar Charlton or Charleston, he had over 403 times, including 424 in 1924, which is kind of a cool thing. Two years earlier, he combined with a 401 batting average with 42 home runs, an accomplishment no player has ever matched. No player has ever matched a 400-plus average with 42 home runs, and it took almost 50 years, Joe Morgan did it, to break his record for home runs by a second baseman. Absolutely incredible. Frank Robinson. The man, the myth, the legend, Frank Robinson. He's a pioneer as the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball. Robinson's also a two-time MVP, triple crown winner, and one of the toughest and fiercest competitors the game has ever known. Frank Robinson was that. Um, He plays the game the way the greatest ones played it. And he did it out of pure, flat-out hate. Jim Murray wrote that. He also stood close to the plate and his head hanging over it. So pitching inside to him was like a nightmare. Mike Schmidt at 18 with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I remember Mike Schmidt playing. Uh, he played third base. He was the ideal third base. He was at a power bat. He had great reflexes. He was like a cat on third base. Third base. He did put up uh, prodigious, uh, pr- 
prodigious numbers in home runs, seven times leading the National League uh, with um, home runs, walks four times, and strikeouts also four times. Um, Ten gold gloves and and still is considered one of the greatest Phillies of all time. Mr. Roger Clemens at 17, obviously he did not make the Hall of Fame. He was on Hall of Fame track with Boston before signing with Toronto and winning back-to-back Cy Youngs. Then he helped the Yankees to four World Series appearances in five and won another Cy Young uh, in his uh, it's a record seventh. And as a 41-year-old, uh, like anchoring the Astros in 2004. However, his inclusion in the Mitchell Report is asterisk, like I said, because of steroid use. And that's what kept him from being in the Hall of Fame. Honest to God, it's what kept him from being in the Hall of Fame. Um, then we have uh, the great Joe DiMaggio. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, the all-time, uh, the all-time New York Yankee great, uh, 1936 to 51. All he did was play for the Yankees. 325 uh, batting average, 361 home runs, 100 or 1,537 RBIs, and uh, 2,214 hits. What he's best known for is after Babe Ruth retired, DiMaggio became the new Babe Ruth. He was the icon of the Yankees. Since they won more um, often than they did, even with Ruth, it meant that he became the American icon in the era when baseball ruled sports. Uh, he hit 50 straight. He hit in 56 straight games, arguably the most famous record ever. He played 10 World Series in in his uh, in his 13 seasons. Think about that, guys. He played in the World Series 10 out of his 13 seasons. Holy dear God. That's just insane. And the Yankees won nine of those. Ernest Hemingway mentioned him. And he said, I would like to take the great DiMaggio fishing. He said his father was a fisherman. I'm like, wow. Those songs were uh, written in his tribute. Uh, he married Marilyn Monroe, which he's famous for. And baseball isn't uh, statistics. It's Joe DiMaggio rounding the bases. Um, it was said about him. Number 15, Mike Trout. I cannot disagree with this. I like Mike Trout. Um, I, I think that the unfortunate part is he gets overshadowed because he's not playing on a team that's winning World Series or competing in the World Series level. 305. 310 home runs, 816 RBIs. He started playing ball in 2011. So he's in his 12th year coming up uh, with 1,419 hits, which is absolutely insane. He is a center fielder. He turned 30 in uh, 2021, which means he still has time. Um, I mean, he, he's got time to – he's going to the Hall of Fame. Y'all, he's going to the Hall of Fame, and he's still got time to get there, right? Let's be real. He's got time to get there. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be insane. Uh, but the crazy part about it is 24 other players were selected before trout in 2009 draft. But three years later, the, the product of New Jersey, Mr. Mike Trout himself recorded perhaps the best rookie season of all time. Um, and he had a 10.5 BWR or BWAR in that year. And that's a record for any position player. He already had won three MVP trophies and finished in the top five of MVP balloting for nine straight years. And a streak ended last season because of the injuries. And, and it sucked because he did take that injury and he took it hard. Number 14, my man, Greg freaking Maddox. We know, <coughs> we know 
We talked about him earlier. We know he's insane. He is the only pitcher to combine for 300-plus wins, 3,000-plus strikeouts, and fewer than 1,000 walks. This man could light a match with his pitches. He was savvy. He was devastating with his arsenal pitches. Um, but his his pitches weren't overpowering. They just moved. And he won four consecutive Cy Youngs from 92 to 95. John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, Steve or Greg Maddox and Steve Avery pitching in one of the most devastating rotations of modern era baseball. He had 37 complete games during that stretch from 92 to 95. 37. Five of those he allowed zero runs and threw fewer than 100 pitches. Think about that, guys. He threw fewer than 100 pitches. And it's to known today as when you pitch like that, it's called a Maddox. All right. Ken Griffey Jr. at 13. Duh. Ken Griffey Jr., one of the most electrifying ball players of all time. Uh, Hannes Wagner um, at number 12. Early early 20th century ball player. He was the Flying Dutchman. He is considered to be one of the best shortstops who ever lived. Um, and, and his contemporaries see it that way. That's the greatest part about it. He did everything. Superb defense. Elite average. He had eight batting titles. He was he had six slugging percentage titles, uh, titles, and one of the be- one of the best runner, base runners ever with 723 steals, 252 triples, and he has one of the rarest baseball cards of all time that sold for six million dollars. Pedro Martinez at number eleven. Pedro Martinez at number eleven. Not surprising at all. Uh, Dodgers, Expos, Red Sox, uh, Mets, and then the Phillies. Pedro was amazing. He won the AL Cy Young Award um, after his 99 and 2000 season. His two best years were 99 and 2000. Um, And and it came at one of the highest scoring ERAs in history. That's the crazy part about it. Um, What's crazy is he was 5'11 and 170. But he was known for his fastball and his changeup. That's the crazy part about it. So he was a small pitcher, known for his fastball and changeup. He led the league in strikeouts three times and the ERA in five times. And this was during the worst of the of the ERA times. Both of the uh the well the Cy Young season, rather, after both of those seasons, the Cy Young season, he combined for a 190 ERA, 430 and a third innings, and the major league average stretch of 462. That was the major league average was 4.62 ERA. He had a 190. And in 2000, he registered 200, uh, a 2.91 ERA and adjusted stat accounting for ballparks in the era with average being 100. That stands as the best since at least 1893. Stan Musial at number 10. Duh, the Cardinal great. Stan Musial, left field, right field, and first base. He could have hit 300 with a fountain pen. Is what has been said about him. Um, 331, 474 or 75 home runs, 1,951 RBIs, and 3,630 hits. Um, he he was he was he was a benchmark player, guys. 1941 to 1963 benchmark player. His 1948 MVP season, which was a third MVP award, is one of the best ever with a 376, 39 home runs. 18 triples, 46 doubles, and that's 103 extra base hits, just if you wanted to keep count of that. 
He's a second all-time base. Uh, he's second all-time in total bases, third in runs created behind Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth, and the top 10 in numerous other categories. One of the greatest. Walter Johnson for the Washington Senators. Um, he was the... I mean, if you look at... Um, if you look at history and look at what has been said about Washington, uh, Walter Johnson playing for the Washington Senators, um, he was lights out. He had a 217 ERA with 3,509 strikeouts in 5,914 and a third innings. G- holy God. 417 wins, 279 losses. Again, this is another one of those pitchers that will never be replicated in modern era. And this is what I'm talking about. Johnson had dominance. Is, I mean, dominance. He had 110 shutouts, and that's 20 more than any other pitcher. The thing is, is the way he threw, estimates of how hard he threw were all over the place. But we can safely say that at the very least, it was off the charts with velocity. And he added side whip to it and almost underhand, like arm slot, like that, that submarine style pitch hitters had no chance against him. And, and even modern day hitters would probably have a problem against him, considering he played 1907 to 27 Barry bonds at eight, Barry bonds at eight. Again, big asterisk, big issues with peds and stuff like that. But he was polarizing, polarizing. Um, he was a hall, he's hall of fame caliber for sure. But with his issues, um, that's where we, that's where we look at the problems that he had. All right. 762 home runs, 2,935 hits, 2,558 base on balls. The guy had almost as many, he had 400 less walks than he did hits, which is over his career, which is absolutely insane. Um, now, he had a 981 OPS, averaging three, uh, 33 home runs, 34 stolen bases, on his way to three MVPs from 87 to 98. And that was before the whole PEDS issue. He became a superhuman after he allegedly started using PEDS. He broke single season home run record, passed Hank Aaron, all that other stuff. But there will always be an asterisk on him. Mickey Mantle. The New York great, the Yankee great, 51 to 68. New York great, 563 home runs, 1,509 RBIs, and 2,415 hits. Center fielder, one of the greatest center fielders of of all time. He was a center of baseball universe when New York ruled baseball. He he had raw power from both sides of the plate. Um, question was, is, did he really hit a 565-foot home run? There's no real way to tell that because of, you know, measurement mean measurement in that era, but that's what he's known for. He won the triple count crown in 1956 and won three MVPs, and he probably could have won more, um, at some point. Lou Gehrig, one of my favorites, if not my favorite ball player of all time, Mr. Lou Gehrig, the man, the myth, the legend. So Lou Gehrig was the, we'll call him the handler. Um, we all know him by the disease that was named that took his life and bears his name, Lou Gehrig's disease. And for the courage that he displayed when he was facing it, uh, he was an iron horse. Uh, 
Babe Ruth was the Yang. Babe Ruth was the bad boy. And Lou Gehrig was the good guy. Lou Gehrig was responsible for Babe Ruth. He, he kept Babe Ruth under wraps. Um, he kept Babe Ruth going. And, and oftentimes it was known that, that they were not, uh, they were not, they were not the best of friends. Um, I actually have a picture hanging in my home of, uh, it's one of the few ever taken of Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth standing together, actually smiling. Well, Babe Ruth smirking. Um, cause that's what he did. He didn't smile. Uh, strictly from the standpoint of the iron horse and being what he was, he showed up every day, produced a level that few have ever produced. His legendary consecutive game streak of 2,130 games is the most cited statistic it is the number one uh, He is the, it's the number responsible for turning the name, um, of poor Wally Pip, uh, Gehrig's predecessor, uh, and the Yankees into a verb, uh, like I said, he was the yen to Ruth's yang. He was perhaps baseball's best RBI man. His 1,995 RBIs ranked seventh of all time, uh, despite the abrupt end to his career. Guys, he played from 23 to 39. He played from 1923 to 39, and we know that ballplayers played much longer in that time frame. But my God, what a great ball player! What a great ball player! Ted Williams, the great Ted Williams. Um, left fielder for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, yeah, he had a four year break in the middle of his career, 1939 to 42. They had that four year break. Um, he was probably the greatest hitter to ever live. Um, his astronomical numbers were absolutely insane. And he revolutionized, he revolutionized the approach to hitting. Um, he, he came out of, of his career as the hitting God. If, if that makes sense. William boasts the highest on-base percentage in baseball history. And in the last year, to reach a 400 batting average at the ages of 39 and 40 and 57 and 58. He won the American League Batting League title in those years. And his career totals could have been even higher if he had not missed three and five seasons serving in World War II. He actually served in World War II. Now think about this. He served in World War II, took four years off from, well, three years off from 42 to 46. He had a 344 521 home runs, 1,839 RBIs, and 2060, uh, 2,654 hits. Absolutely insane. So he played from 39 to 42 and then 46 to 60, and that's what he did. Absolutely incredible. Ty Cobb, one of the greatest ball players of all time, playing at Detroit and playing at Philadelphia the early 1900s um, into uh, 1928. So 1905 to 1928. Um Absolutely incredible. Again, center fielder, one of the greatest of all time. When the batting average reigned supreme, he was the greatest. He won a record 12 battling titles. He hit 403 times and finished with the highest lifetime average in Major League Baseball history. He played a game where you had to outthink the opponent, now outslug them. It was about tactics at that time, not slugging. In nearly 100 years since he played his final game, the images of Cobb remain vivid in the fiery temperament and the aggression that he had on the field. He was quoted to say in his autobiography that they were all against me, but I had, but I beat this bastards down and left them in the ditch. Babe Ruth put it this way. He said, but Cobb is a punk. 
but he sure can hit. God almighty, that man can hit. And that was Hank Aaron. Or, uh, I'm sorry, Babe Ruth. That was Babe Ruth that said that. Um, <laughs> and, and Babe Ruth was a pitcher, guys. Babe Ruth was a pitcher, so he knew it. Uh, Hank Aaron, uh, one of my favorite ball players of all time as well. I have his autographed baseball, baseball sitting behind me. Hank Aaron is at number three, played in the Negro Leagues. Then he played for the Braves from 54 to 74 and the Brewers from 75 to 76. Um, he's best known for 755. That's what he's best known for, 755 home runs, 2,297 RBIs, and 3,771 hits with a 305 average over his career. Even today, if you ask a lifelong baseball fan how many home, run, Hank, home runs Hank Aaron hit, they'll, they could probably tell you 755, 755, 755. You ask how many Barry Bonds hit, and they'll be like, uh, I don't know. You say Hank Aaron, 755. Uh, when Aaron's uh, pursuit of Babe Ruth's home run career uh, culminated on uh, for number 715 in 1974, it was an iconic event in American history. And yet Hank Aaron um, was not really a home run hitter. That was the crazy part. He was a great hitter. He was a great hitter, but he was not known for hitting home runs. His lifetime average of 305 and 3,771 hits and 2,297 RBIs our career record one of the, uh one that is probably safe for a long time is is that record 305 377 or 3 uh 3771 on the hits and 2297 on the rbis i doubt that that will ever be eclipsed when aaron died just uh, over a year ago it was more about his presence off the field and who he was as a man off the field than he did on the field that man was a great man i am very honored to to possess his autographed baseball. I am very, very honored. Willie Mays. Willie Mays is at number two. He was known for playing a shallow center field in the uh, polo grounds and sprinting towards center field and making that over-the-shoulder basket catch. That is the known catch, right? You see anybody in the current era of baseball make that catch, and it's like, yeah. That's a Willie Mays. They did a Willie Mays. They reached over. They made the basket catch. He played shallow center field. He knew he had speed, and he used it to his advantage. And that was in game one of 1954 World Series. It's known as the catch, and it will always be known as the catch. One of the greatest, um, one of the greatest, most graceful, most beautiful catches in baseball history. He won 12 gold gloves, but... He was also an elite hitter, averaging 40 home runs per season from 1954 to uh, 66. And he ran ran with the best, leading the majors in stolen bases in four straight years. Um, He just, he was a super skilled ball player. And then we have the GOAT. The GOAT, uh, we have the legend. um, We've mentioned him multiple times. and, uh, And he is known as the curse. The babe himself. Mr. Babe Ruth. 1914 to 19 with the Boston Red Sox and then started our curse when he went over to the Yankees and he played with the Yankees from 20 to 34 and he retired with the Boston Braves in 1935 before they went to Milwaukee, which then went to Atlanta. This man was a beast. Like I said, he was a pitcher. He played right field, left field, and he pitched as a hitter. He was 342, 714 home runs, 
2,214 RBIs, 2,873 hits. As a pitcher, he was 94 and 46 with a 228 ERA, 488 strikeouts with 1,221 innings pitched. What is he best known for? That swing, that beautiful, beautiful swing. He was known for his home runs. The baseball we watch today is is Babe Ruth's game. The home runs that we see, the the impacts, the all that it was Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was was cool before Babe Ruth was cool. Many players make an impact. Few become these folklore heroes that he is. But nobody, 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 nobody changed the sport like Babe Ruth did when he joined the Yankees. And he transformed baseball into a game of absolute power. No player has ever dominated his era like Babe Ruth. None. And I challenge anyone to bring up a player that dominated his era of baseball like Babe Ruth did. I don't care who you say. They are not going to do what he did. He led his league in home runs 12 times. Out homering entire teams. And in 13 times slugging an on-base percentage. He slugged 690 for his career. And he slugged 744 in the 1941 World Series games. He won all three of his World Series starts as a pitcher. And one of them was 14 innings. And he's known for calling his shot. Guys, find me a ball player. Shoei Otani is going to come close. That's why everybody goes Shoei Otani is the next Babe Ruth. Shoei Otani is going to come close. But I have never seen Shoyo Otani pitch 14 innings and slugged 744 and gotten home runs, league home runs, winning league home runs 12 times and then out homering entire teams. He had more home runs than entire teams combined. And 13 times slugging an, an OPS. I challenge anyone, challenge anyone to find a greater ball player all around than Babe Ruth, especially with the way he changed the game. And mind you, this is a whiskey drinking, cigar smoking asshole. <laughs> um, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a absolute great time. I have enjoyed Having you guys here, I've enjoyed talking baseball. It's one of my favorite sports of all time. Love baseball. I'm looking forward to baseball season. we got to get this strike under control. But ladies and gentlemen, it has been an hour and 15 minutes of glorious fun with you guys. I appreciate you guys being here. As always, we are still looking for sponsors. Please go check out spreadthecheerusa.org. I mentioned them at the beginning of this fine podcast. We are looking for sponsors. Sponsorships are very reasonably priced. We're looking for that. If you guys have a guest or have a subject you want me to talk about on the Time Out with Josh podcast, please hit me up on www.timeoutwithjosh.com or on Instagram. You can find the Time Out with Josh apparel on the website. You can also find links to my other social media, the wish lists, and contact information as well as life coaching information. You guys have been fan-fucking-tastic. 
Thank you for being here. Enjoy your afternoon and let's go sports ball. Let's watch some great Super Bowl stuff this weekend and have a great time. You guys have a wonderful day. Time out with Josh out. We'll